Jesse Schrader and Jesse Schrader is living on a farm and raising vegetables and chickens and what all do you have on your farm? Uh, about a half acre of uh, organic vegetables and then chickens and rabbits. And uh, Jesse was one of my uh, students several years back and is reading and I wanted to have him talk about uh, Christianity and the culture of relativism in the anthropologies of Joseph Ratzinger and Stanley Harwas. Uh, the the book is is raising an interest interesting topic. Uh, I think that as we get into it, there may be some question as to uh, how how well the topic is carried out. But at least it's an interesting read, as I understand it. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think uh, it'll be, I've, I'm not terribly far into it, um, not even quite probably a quarter of the way yet, but I think it'll be interesting to see um, where it goes and how the kinds of questions uh, that it can raise and the way that the author is going to articulate his points. Uh, he clearly has some misunderstandings, um, I think willful misunderstandings of Hauerwas's, uh uh, points of view. Uh, he respects him, but he doesn't quite. Um, he views them in a negative light. He's pretty close-minded to them. But uh, the the topic. This is the first book I've found to really address the topic uh, and, in a meaningful and the, way. And the topic is the they're discussing the anthropological differences. And so, what mm-hmm. would, how could you run down what uh, what would be the difference between uh, Harwas and uh, Ratzinger. Yeah, Ratzinger. Um, well, uh, for Ratzinger, uh, he views um, he views the relationship between God and man um, as uh, being defined uh, through Jesus of Nazareth, uh, and the way that ends up working out for him um, ultimately uh, finds its its deepest expression through uh, communion through the sacraments of the Catholic Church. Um, there might be other nuances to that, but that's eventually where he ends up. Um, and for Hauerwas, uh, it is through <clears throat> um, the community of the church where man finds uh, his uh, a connection to his origin. Um, and I think uh, this will probably lead into what might what might be even the next question um, is that I think the key reason for the discrepancy there is the. Um, the failure to understand that what Hauerwas means by the community of the church is different from probably what's in the mind of a Catholic theologian, which Sissiondo, uh, the, the author of the book, is. Um, and that's that in sacraments, um, they find the, uh, the connection to Christ through the, the participation in the death and resurrection of Christ. Uh, and they fail to see that what Hauerwas means by the church is a church that is characterized by participating uh, through their actions uh, and through uh, their embodied lifestyles in the death and resurrection of the church and how that's that's displayed through uh, discipleship leading to uh, holy lifestyles and to the love of, of the brothers in the church, the brothers and sisters, and of its relationship uh, to the rest of the world. Um, I think that's the basic misunderstanding, um, is that church is not viewed as a participation in the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, in that light, I think... If if Cicinando would understand it in that way, um, I think he would even he would even agree then that that is where man finds uh, his connection to the origin 
is in participating in that. Um, but it's an ecclesiological difference. Um, that, uh, that you're describing Sisiando's misunderstanding the, uh, of his reading of Hauerwas, that he sees Hauerwas as kind of a, he even calls him a humanist or, mm-hmm, or something yeah. on the order of a... Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. F- further on, even, uh, in their understanding of uh, humankind and the world, um, Sisiando, when he describes uh, Ratzinger's approach, um, uh, he says that basically... Uh, he, they both view man, man as a relational being, um, and he has a, in a positive way, he describes how Ratzinger is saying that his anthropology is, a, is essentially one of communion. Man's uh, participation in the sacraments um, and taking communion uh, as being uh, the way man is able to um, participate in his relationship with God, with the world, and with, with other people. Um, and Hauerwas, Hauerwas uh, posits um, in his book, Resident Aliens, um, what Sissiando will say um, is that Hauerwas believes in a relational nature of man, um, but at the same time he envisages a separateness of living, a resident alienism. And as long as Hauerwas encourages Christians to be resident aliens, living in an alternative polis, he implicitly encourages and may lead to medieval Puritanism, fashioning an isolated holy society within a larger evil society. And Sisiando uh, fears that this could uh, cause man and Christians to become even further disconnected. Um, but I th- what he fails to see, again, though, is that in that separate community, that is a working out of man's uh, relational nature uh, to God and to one another. That That's, that's how the relationship looks. Um, and I think that uh, he he's placing an unnecessary uh, limit or negative note to that by saying that it could lead to um, kind of factionism, you know, the Puritan idea, which is usually seen in a negative light. Um, and and I think that uh, in talking about the topic of relativism, um, I think that uh, that in that way, in the church being a separate community, uh, you will most distinctly. Um, uh, confront relativism because you, your only line of defense against relativism is not uh, appealing to reason or philosophical arguments. Uh, you are insisting that truth is something that's embodied. It's not something um, that you can uh, only uh, get at through through thinking or through reason or through philosophy. That there's a merger there, um, and I don't, I don't think that. Um, Ratzinger's approach uh, is a strong enough confrontation. Um, I think. I think it kind of. Uh, it doesn't. I think that the church that Harwas is is promoting and the way it embodies itself um, is, is confrontational, um, and that the anthropology and the the style of church Assisiando is advocating um, it. It just allows more room. I think for relativism uh, to exist. Is it? I mean, is the case of with uh, how was the idea that the church is then uh, its own culture? Uh, I I know he uses the language of the church as a kind of counterculture, and uh, I know even with the guys, the radical Orthodox guys, there's mm-hmm. some disagreement as to how to state that. And so, but I think that actually, what he might might say say is not that the church is so much a counterculture in the sense that there is 
the culture of the world and that it in some way it constitutes a reality over and against the church, but that in fact the cultures of this world are uh, not entities on the order of the culture of the church, so that there's really only one true culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once you say that, then you talk about uh, that Christ or the church is a culture <clears throat> and the one true culture. Well, you can still talk about Christ being apprehended and understood through culture, but you're not uh, reducing it to a relativistic understanding because there's a singular universal culture Mm -hmm. that's given to us in Christ. Yeah, yeah, and I I think that a lot of that goes back to, to, and this is something Hauerwas says that he wants, uh, he wants... In, in the work, Sissiondo uh, quotes him as saying that he wants original sin to be stated as a basic truth. Um, and I think that this goes back a lot to original sin because uh, the created world, I, I believe this and Hauerwas does too, and I think you agree to it as well, that the world order as we have it, the principalities and the power uh, and the powers that be, um, are based upon and... and uh, the original fall of man that from the state we were in there we continued on and the the way cultures and societies have developed since have been based upon that and what that means is they're based upon uh an original lie um that they uh that they will be like god um and from the tower of babel and and on and on and with an understanding of uh, original sin being a departure from god and that part of that departure um was your your epistemology, and this goes back to a lot of the work you've done on epistemology, uh, and failing to understand the fall as as not just a moral fall or a virtue, a fall of the of our virtues, but a fall of our thinking as well. Um, I think that's uh, will eventually manifest itself in the way um, that it is in here, uh, and I think that's. And acknowledging the depth of that fall, uh, including our epistemology, um, that's where you can then come to the conclusion that, uh, yeah, the church is the only true culture. Uh, it's acknowledged um, that uh, that the rest of humanity has fallen, has believed in a lie, and the church is based upon an acceptance um, of, of the fact that man did believe a lie uh, and its need for Christ to... Um, to live in a truthful way thereafter. Um, uh, it's a participation in the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, so there may just be a, a basic difference between a Catholic understanding and Hauerwas' Anabaptist mm-hmm. understanding between what Hauerwas is picturing as a narrative theology or even a narrative reality, uh, that in a sense uh, that... Uh, that you couldn't work that out in a Catholic theology. Mm-hmm. That there's a, that there's this basic difference <clears throat> that nature itself, creation itself, uh, is then uh, that there is uh, not a uh, count a culture uh, that is in in a sense over and against, but simply one to be redeemed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think it goes back to in your first couple of blogs and podcasts about um, the story of theology. You mentioned even in there just a the very simple story of, of Constantine 
uh, he fell ill or was injured or something, and he saw the image of the cross and became, you know, converted and all that. And from that point is where you begin to have the kind of culture that we have now, but also the kind of culture in which uh, Catholic theology and the Catholic Church um, started and began to thrive. And it was it was a union of um, the principalities and powers that be and Christian theology. Um, and uh, that union uh, created the idea that um, that that Christianity and culture uh, have no need to really come into conflict, um, and it's been that way for uh, a very long time. Um, but obviously, that hasn't that hasn't gotten the church anywhere. We still within that broader culture, we have that's where uh, relativism has now come up, and uh, plenty of uh, philosophies and 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 uh, philosophers have form their ideas within a framework that was set up by that culture. Um, uh, in confronting it, um, I mean, you're up against a lot of traditions that are hard to, to debunk. Um, but, I mean, yeah, your point on nature, I definitely, I mean, agree with. It. Yeah, it's not something over and against. So the, 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 what you get in a, a, a Catholic theology rather than a narrative understanding is a natural theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, just on the, the you begin not with a uh, narrative reality but a kind of uh, rational I don't know if that's uh, true to the idea but yeah. the idea that there is just available to us in and through our createdness mm-hmm. uh, and apprehension of God and I think what, what Harris would say is that no it's a that, uh, that reason itself is not a parallel to or able to get get us to the place that uh, we've come to in Christ because of the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that's interesting, too, in that the importance Hiawas places on Pentecost, um, the outpouring of the Spirit, and the, he'll say the creation of a new language, um, because revelation is so important to him. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the idea that... Um, <clears throat> You get to God only through revelation, um, and and for him that's a big part of the argument as well. Um, that is real that is misunderstood quite a bit. Is that um, you know he'll say that if you find yourself having to defend God, then you're worshiping an idol. Um, that this idea that uh, and and he says too that Christians have have believed that they need to police their own convictions because they may offend somebody if they sound empirical about what they say. Um, so if you say that Jesus is Lord. Or anything that sounds exclusive like that, um, automatically the narrative, uh, uh, as of late in the past several years, has been that that's not an okay thing to say. But if somebody were to say uh, something just as empirical about Allah or Buddha or any other kind of ideology or religion, it's not as objectionable. Um, and uh, and he, he he his take is that. Uh, uh, Christians just need to to stick with that claim to, that that if, if they are accused of being empirical or, or short sighted or whatever term might be thrown at them, um, well then that's that's just fine. They need to they need to just be that way. Um, that 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 to 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 try and react to those accusations, um, he he says is just completely unproductive. Um, you're not going to you're not going to get at it. It's just it's just another temptation to try and, and get at God through another form of reason. I mean, at, at some point, um, 
uh, you have to let people decide. You know, you can't you can't just always have to talk, have to speak. I guess it's a challenge. This is maybe the best way to put it. Um, it's a, it's those accusations are almost like a challenge to try and go get at the topic uh, on the world's terms uh, in their own language. And his point is that Christianity is an entirely different language. Um, it's a new, it's a revelation of truth from God, and it is the only way. Um, and uh, um, we we need not uh, venture away from that, you know, in order to to defend the faith. Uh, what you said earlier that <clears throat> in uh, Howard's understanding, he's taking, he's using a lot of Bonhoeffer, mm-hmm, yeah. and of course, his whole picture of the practices and the idea of that that Christianity and salvation is, involves us in a set of practices goes back to Bonhoeffer's then kind of counter-liturgy, mm-hmm. uh, that the cost of discipleship uh, was a book that was forged then in a situation in which clearly people were being indoctrinated into the liturgy, if we can say that, mm-hmm. of a national socialism or a Nazi understanding. Yeah, yeah, and... Um... I think part of that too was that the the I mean the Nazi regime was um, th- they wanted relativism I mean because if if they could get truth if they could get people to believe that truth was relative um, or that the validity of Christianity was relative they get Christians which they did in the German church to believe that you know uh, Christian truth is malleable it can change and you know and and, and ultimately it did I mean the the, the German church. Um, supported Hitler, uh, then if they can get people to believe that that, that truth is relative, um, then a Hitler can come to power. Um, but if people have, uh, if they have a liturgical community to be with, where they practice out um, the disciplines of discipleship, and they continue to repeat uh, to repeat Scripture and to, to live out the practices together in community. Um, they form an understanding of the truth um, uh, that is embodied, and it is much easier to resist the lures of relativism um, with that approach and that understanding of truth um, than it is uh, in um, in a more Catholic understanding. Um, which I mean, the German Church wasn't necessarily Catholic, but it was still within the same kind of understanding that that the that the Church is not a separate community. Um, Bonhoeffer realized that the only way to to oppose effectively Nazi Germany, the community of Nazi Germany, was to be a separate community of Christ. Um, and maybe that's the picture always that uh, that uh, in the the church we come to a kind of certainty, but it's not a modernist notion of certainty, or it's not a you know a, a Cartesian notion of certainty that you can in some way come up with a mathematical formula that in fact turns out not to be certain at all, that it is in fact a a kind of failed certainty, but more of a Wittgensteinian Mm. certainty that I think uh, is is in fact parallel to a Christian understanding, which is also then an influence on Harawas that he's been very much influenced by Wittgenstein. Wittgenstein. It may not come out so much uh, as other things in his writing, but of course what you get then in both Wittgenstein and in Bonhoeffer 
is this idea of what you're describing as an embodied certainty, mm-hmm. meaning embodied, not just embodied in the individual, <clears throat> but the corporate embodied. In the community, yeah. And so that's the founding of the Finkenwald. Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. That was the idea um, behind it for Hauerwas, and it's where he forged a lot of the ideas in The Cost of Discipleship and in the book, um, life together as well. A lot of those ideas come together during that time. And so there is nothing more sure for us, and this is a very biblical theme, than uh, the love of God. Oh, yeah, expressed in the community of Christ. Yeah, That's the in one In all thing. of its various forms I mean, it, that, that it takes place, yeah, that we experience that and are able to um, receive that love um, and give that love to, to one another and to the broader world as well. Um, yeah, and, and I guess another way of saying that is there's no, your term, no more, no greater certainty than to experience that. There's also no greater truth, uh, and no greater knowledge of truth than to have experienced that. Um, and, and that's a very different definition of truth. Not, very different, yeah. Not a notion of truth as some sort of, you know, ontological argument kind of certainty, or, you know, a cogito, I think, therefore I am certainty. Mm-hmm but an embodied certainty in that here are people that I know love me and I uh, that here is the body of Christ and here is a reality, an embodied reality of which I can be certain and in the end that's the kind of certain we, we really need. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, yeah, we're, not, we're not content with the certainty on another order. Uh, uh, definitely not on our Cartesian order. I mean, Descartes wasn't even... I mean, you, you talked in, in the classes, I remember, about how he was scared to death of death. He wanted a way to, to be able to defeat death, you know, within his lifetime. He thought they would come to it. Um, obviously, his own philosophical um, uh, uh, working ground didn't, didn't satisfy his anxieties, you know. It wasn't a certainty. Uh, you know, I think, therefore, I am. Obviously, wasn't that calming to, to him. Yeah, yeah. That was actually uh, an insight of Derrida's on Descartes is that his whole, whole life he, he really did fear death and he thought that through science he could, that eventually mm-hmm. they would, in his lifetime, cure it. But in the cogito, there's a kind of flight from And well, and you look at, look at that type of view of, of knowledge. I mean, obviously, the, the faith in science, science is not, and not that there's not some, some story, some, some traceable story to, to the, the, the field of science, but it is not something that's based upon uh, embodiment to a large extent, uh, even if it if it uh, observes you know people and communities, but it also doesn't have much of a narrative to it. It doesn't have much uh, of a of a of a of kind of a family history type thing uh, that that like a, a culture has a story of how it came from where it was to where it is and how the ideas that shape its its uh, its actions now how they how they developed how they've changed for better or for worse. Uh, Science doesn't, didn't then, and doesn't really now have that much uh, of a difference to it. The scientific method um, is not something based upon uh, that type of rich history. Um, uh, even though there have been scientists for ages on all types of different topics, uh, they have often ended up debunking. You know, uh, with certain certain conclusions of a certain era are debunked later on. Um, and, and, uh, what we learn when, when those types of things happen, um, is how, uh, how fickle that, that, that type of knowledge and that, that, 
how how fickle faith in that kind of truth really is. Um, uh, and and it, I think it goes back to, and it's probably more than more than uh, what we could get into now is is a little bit. Um, I think it's James Donyani wrote the book Personal Knowledge. Is that his name? I might be thinking of something else. Oh, Polanyi. 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 And then or it might be Michael Polanyi. I think Michael his Polanyi. Name. But then also Herman Dewey Weird was my first paper I wrote for you on uh, Weltanschauung on uh, worldview being something that's embodied as well. That just it, it's almost silly, and I think Howard should probably say, it's almost silly that we even have to have a conversation about the nature of truth uh, being embodied versus being. Uh, Something disembodied. That, yeah, disembodied. Exactly, disembodied. Because just the way we go about our our our, our everyday lives and the way uh, over over the years, we know that about truth. Whether we uh, say it or are uh, acutely you know conscious to it, we know that's how we come to truth uh, is through experiences. And, and not to say that truth is subjective, um, uh, but I, I don't even know that maybe speaking of it in terms of subjective versus objective. Are uh, or maybe even is maybe that's even the right kind of dichotomy yeah, was, to talk about it because those are, those are terms that came about through through modernism really I mean it's almost like laying a foundation um, that 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 I mean it it doesn't even qualify you know to have the conversation in that way um, they so, just don't apply yeah subjective objective interior exterior yeah those, all of those, those categories yeah. that and of course what what you're working with in modernity and a Cartesian understanding is actually a Platonic understanding. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It all goes back. Yeah. So that the idea of achieving truth is to escape change, which by its very nature is disembodied. Yeah. Exactly. And that that should be to anybody who's a Christian. Obvious. Yeah. Obvious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It should be. It should be an obvious an obvious point. And I think that's Auerbach's point and how he. Later, you know, as you listen to different talks from Hiawasa, read different things, he gets a, he get in his older age, he gets a little less uh, patient with having the conversations. I mean, uh, constantly getting the same questions that are based upon the same categories and the same philosophical understandings. Um, and, and like at the at the end of the Wheaton talk, like what I was saying, he he just said, well, I mean, yeah, if that sounds empirical. Uh, to say that I believe Jesus is Lord and that offends somebody because it sounds so closed-minded. Well, then I guess I'm an empiric. I guess I'm an empiricist, or I guess I'm closed-minded. He's willing to take take that bad label um, uh, uh, because the other option is to try to defend the truth or turn truth and lead others to believe that truth can be uh, attained in some other way, um, or or that I mean to to lead someone to believe that you can have a conversation or defend Christianity. Um, on another playing field and another line of thinking uh, is to uh, essentially, I think he would say, uh, lead them to faith in an idol, which is what, which is, which is all that happens through the classical arguments. You know, we know that that we, well, we, we've, we've just, uh, oh, what do we used to say? We've, we've defended the god of, of Aristotle. You know, the unmoved mover. You know, that's who we've defended. We haven't defended um, the. The, the God I, of the Abraham, is, Isaac, and Jacob. The idol is nothing. Is nothing. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, the, the the unmoved mover, uh, like the idol, is it, it, it is unmoved. It, it just as death is unmoved. Yeah. Uh, that it is absolute in the same way that death is absolute. But of course not. Yeah, and, not and I think, and this might be something to, to, to I'll get into more probably in maybe another section of, of of what's in the book. But I do vaguely remember now that we use the term unmoved mover um, in talking about how God um, 
works in the world. Hieros would say, well, obviously through the Holy Spirit, through Scripture, but that embodies itself and has its greatest effect in the church, in the community of Christ, and how they live, in, in the, the, the ways that they take up their cross and walk, in nonviolence, in, in um, all kinds of virtues. Uh, nonviolence is a big one for Hieros. But I think he specifically even states that uh, Ratzinger's view is more of an unmoved mover. Uh, so I think he actually uses the, the term, and that, and that I think that's where the kind of negative view of Hauerwas, you know, how he'll say that Hauerwas, uh, you know, he risks bringing back medieval Puritanism, you know, and, and, and kind of disconnecting, you know, everybody from the, the rest of the world from, from access to the church. Uh, I think that's probably because of uh, having uh, an unmoved mover approach to God in that in that approach there's no need to live in an embodied way because you're convinced from the get-go that it's not it's not going to bring about anything anyway but I think that um, for Hauerwas and for anyone who believes truth is an embodied thing um, uh, then uh, you are uh, inspired um, and you see the importance um, of living a certain way um, and of participating in the truth through, through participating in the death, death and resurrection of Christ in community. Um, and, I mean, e- even even the ways that Jesus describes how you'll participate uh, in his death so that you can have his life have to deal with resisting sin, uh, uh, you know, resisting uh, lust, hating your enemy, uh, certain forms of speech, um, um, things he lines out in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he does obviously in John talk about a participation in that being, you know, in um, in communion. Um, but but it's not the only way. Um, and uh, and Paul too defends it left and right in in Romans and elsewhere um, that the participation in the death and resurrection of Christ uh, is on the order of of a lifestyle and uh, something that's done uh, together. Every uh, you know when he talks of hope in Romans. Uh, he's not talking of an individual's hope. He's talking of the hope of an entire group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and he talks about that communal hope right after he talks about uh, putting to death, therefore, the sinful nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, it's one right after the other. Um, so obviously, this embodied uh, life in Christ uh, is something to be done communally and is where we find our hope. Um, and it's how uh, we draw closer to the truth. G.J. says something I don't. I don't agree with the way that he describes it, but actually, it it in a, with a little twist, it could be true. And that is, you know, Zizek talks about the, uh, you know, you take your prayer in a Hindu or, or in a Buddhist uh, understanding, and the priest attaches it to the prayer wheel. Mm-hmm. And the, the prayer wheel does the praying for you, and and obviously that that there uh, that is a kind of. Uh, uh, you know, understanding that as as a Christian, we wouldn't want to say that the church does our believing for us uh, yeah. in a bad sense. That I think that sometimes what happens in a sacramental notion. <clears throat> On the other hand, can we talk about as you're describing Christian hope here? that there are times that our participation in the body of Christ, there is this sense that maybe some days my beliefs are in need of some, uh, you know, I need to be backed up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, definitely I resonate with that with, with Catholicism, even just in the idea of, 
uh, a little bit of, of confession or other other practices that they have that you kind of go and you go through this this uh, whatever this this basic motion and then you know whatever church official ever does it for you. But I think I think Harawas even he says that when he talks about his his personal struggles um, with his marriage, one of the things he says and I, I experienced as well too was that there were days he knew that he was being sustained by the prayers of others. And he talks about the importance of intercessory prayer, praying on behalf of others, and learning to rely upon other people. Um, uh, when he's listing the top you know, three or four or five things that got him through his, his divorce situation, and that's one of the first things he mentions, uh, was relying on other people, and he knows his life is being sustained by the prayers of others. Because he is too weak to believe that it's still, uh, that it's, it's, worth, um, it's worth persevering, it's worth continuing to be faithful, it's worth... Staying committed to peace and, and instead of anger in the situation he was going through, I had the same situation. Uh, and before I heard Harawa say that, I felt the same way. I remember times just knowing that I know there's people praying for me because I can't, I can't go through all this right now. I can't even, you know, make sense of what's happening right now. Um, but somehow I'm able to still function and make it through, you know, a day or a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there and, the, and there is that sense, and I think I think that one of the dangers too of a um, uh, more uh, modernist sort of approach uh, to talking about some of these things, like we talked about earlier about how these these binary categories don't even really apply. Um, uh, uh, and you see that in scripture too. Jesus is giving one option or the other option, and he gives this neatly prepared kind of middle option. Uh, and it leaves people either frustrated or silenced or more intrigued by him. I think something else too is that some of these things, like the idea that uh, you know your your beliefs are upheld by the church a little bit, uh, maybe that that you are weak in some sense in your faith, but in participating in 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 the community of Christ in whatever it may be, fellowship, Bible study, service, uh, whatever, um, that somehow in doing that you are sustained as well. Um, that. Uh, that that your weakness, your your belief is not uh, in Christ is not something that is. Um, it sounds wrong to say, but uh, almost completely your responsibility. Right. You, not, you, yeah, you uphold one another because and, the faith is something that we've been yes. given by other people. Yeah, and and, a, and and I think that uh, the danger is when you try to articulate that too exactly, because I think that uh, there are mysteries about our faith and about how they uh, manifest themselves and how we work them out um, that, that, that maybe can't quite be put into words. And, and that's, that's not to say that it's not worth trying to, trying to sort them out. But some things um, are mysterious. Everybody understands it and they've experienced it and they know how to, they, 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 they're on the same page with it, but they can't quite explain it. Um, and that sounds a little bit dangerous to talk about, but I think it's a I think it's an important aspect. So that I don't think yeah. it's it's uh, you know other people's faith sustains us. Yeah, and we could even talk about the fruits of the spirit. You yeah, know, do we all have those fruits in equal measure, mm-hmm. or in fact, are the full measure of the fruits of the spirit something that we can only have corporately? Yeah. 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 I mean, well, I mean, every 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 fruit of the spirit is something that's that's a relational. Quality. I mean, uh, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are things that you only you can only express or fail to express those those things corporately to someone else right. to another right. to another. It's not it's not an isolated. Yeah. Those are not isolated qualities. 
Um, and, and, you know, the, the peace, like, you know, the, the peace, for instance, is not this, uh, internal sort of nirvana state. It's the peace between you and me and, and, and whoever else. Um, it's an, it's their embodied gifts. Um, and that's the nature of the sacrament. In other words, maybe the word is no longer available to us, but isn't that then in Corinthians when it talks about recognizing the body? Well, what body? Well, the communal body, mm-hmm. the corporate body, that in, in people going ahead and eating and gorging themselves, what's not being recognized is the brother to my left and my right. Yeah, who don't have whatever, yeah. And they then together, we together, constitute the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and the idea of, you know, if, you know, if if one if one part of the body is weaker, then the other part of the body sustains it. And and how yeah, when he lays out the church in Corinthians, yeah, absolutely. Um, we may have gone a long ways away from. Well, but I think we hit some good points yeah, later yeah, on. I yeah. think a big one is is probably, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays itself out here. The last thing I think I would say is just how the I think he's going to try and attack this category, this this topic. Uh, through particular categories, and I think um, what I'm beginning to see is just the inadequacy of those those categories for, for handling these issues. But no. it's an important topic, I think, to address that, in this time. That you're saying that the uh, the author may, in fact, because of his uh, uh, Catholic understanding, is not fully comprehending mm-hmm. where how this is coming from. Yeah. Jesse has uh, brought me some potatoes and sweet potatoes and spaghetti squash from and, and I have given him some arugula, arugula and bok choy. Yes, right? bok choy. So we do have an economy going we here do. at the, the Bob Church. <laughs> so thank you, Jesse, for 